Let's begin with a word of prayer. Jesus, you are great, and how powerful you are, and we thank you so much, God, that you are here right now. We feel your presence, Lord. Thank you. Sometimes we don't, and we don't run on feelings. Lord, we run on faith, but sometimes it sure helps to feel your presence sometimes. And God, we're, we're just so grateful for you. And God, we know your word is true, your promises are true, that you are here, you never leave us nor forsake us. And I pray as we move into your word now from worship, I ask God that you would anoint it with your spirit. And Lord, may the word of God speak to the people of God by the spirit of God to change all of us, Lord. So God, help us today to live more for you than ever before. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was just like what you see in the movies. On February 15, 2013, a meteor the size of a six-story building broke up over the Russian city of, I'm going to try, Chelyabinsk. I don't know if I said that right, but a Russian city. You probably saw this in the news. This quote-unquote impact event caused a blast they said that was stronger than a nuclear explosion it shattered glass it it damaged 7200 buildings injured 1200 people and it was reported from some elderly women they were declaring that this is the end of the world well with that possibility and they call this uh, extinction level event, NASA has actually been watching for asteroids. And get this, in 2020, they tracked more than 1,400 asteroids going past our our planet. There was one that they really noted and brought up to attention was asteroid number 52768, which was marked large enough to potentially and civilization. They said it was as large as Mount Everest. It came like 4 million miles, I think, close to Earth. So I guess for space terms, that's pretty close as far as asteroids go. But it went past us. Back in 2011, there was some concern, another concern back then, for Comet Elenin. It was predicted actually to trigger earthquakes, tsunamis, but it broke apart when it got close to the sun. And so it was no threat to the earth. I think it was the Lord, right? How great is our God. I like what one article said when that happened, when the asteroid was broken up and no more threat. They said, the end of the world, rescheduled again. (laughs) I thought that was funny. But the question is, is that really going to be the end scenario? Is that really going to be how this world will end? Like some random asteroid coming and hitting our planet or some comet flying right into us and bringing on this extinction-level event? Well, the Bible tells us that this world, as we know it, will actually have a certain kind of end scenario. The Bible tells us that. Now, of course, we've been seen in the judgments. There are some calamity, and I've talked about some asteroids and all that. But when the pouring out of the judgments of God comes upon the earth, then the world actually will end with Jesus Christ coming, the world as we know it, coming to conquer the earth 
and bring his new kingdom upon the earth. That, that's really how it's going to happen. Well, in our study in the book of Revelation, we come to the last two of the seven bowls of judgment, which really is all leading up to when Jesus returns in victory. And so this is act, the actual, this is the end scenario. And that's the title of our message today, the end scenario. Now we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 16 from verse 12 to verse 21. We're going to finish this chapter. I've broken up our passage into four parts, and this is our outline. Number one, the final preparation. Number two, the final indication. Number three, the final devastation. And number four, the final renunciation. All right, so the end scenario. So this is what we're learning today. How all this is going to end. What will be happening? And first of all, we see the final preparation. The final preparation. Now, we're going to be covering verses 12 through 14. And let's, let's take that whole group and read it now, and then we'll take it apart. Verse 12, Revelation 16 reads, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Verse 13, And I saw... Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. And we'll stop there. Now we begin in verse 14 with the sixth angel pouring out bowl number six. Now, we've seen in our studies that judgments were poured out in seven seals. First of all, we saw that in Revelation chapter 6 and, and partly in chapter 8. And then out of, uh, um, and then this, the second set of judgments was this, the seven trumpet judgments, and that was in Revelation chapter 8, and part of it was in chapter 11. Now, in chapter 16, we've come to the last set of judgments being poured out upon the world, and this is known as the seven bowls, the seven bowls of judgment. And just as a review, remember what we saw last time in chapter 16 from verse 1 through 11? We studied the first five bowls, and number one, out of the first bowl came painful source. You remember, they, these sores developed on people who took the mark. Number two, out of the second bowl, the ocean turned to blood and all sea life died. The third bowl, out of the third bowl, fresh water now becomes blood. There's no, like, drinking water around. Out of the fourth bowl, number four, the sun scorches the world. It just heats up, right? And, and the icebergs melt, the ice caps melt, and there's just more bloody water all over as the sun scorches the earth and people are getting scorched it could be radiation as we talked about maybe the ozone later was gone and then number five out of the fifth bowl there comes this thick and heavy darkness remember it started at the capital city where the throne of the antichrist was and it just spread out into the whole world and it was, it was a supernatural one that you can feel it it was it was thick, it was heavy, and a whole world was put into darkness. 
So now, as we go on in verse 14, John continues with bowl number six. And number six is out of the sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is dried up. So we, I'm sorry, verse 14, verse 12. We see here that the Euphrates, the great river Euphrates, the water was all dried up. Now the Euphrates is the longest river in, the West, in Western Asia. It uh, goes from Mount Ararat in Turkey all the way down to the Persian Gulf. It's, it's really the, the Euphrates and, and a, a branch of it, the Tigris River, is part of like early civilization. It's famous, but it's this huge River. It passes through Syria. It passes through Iraq. You know, this river, Euphrates River, it's great because it's 1,700 miles long. So when the sixth bowl, when this bowl is poured out, this mighty great Euphrates River is dried up. Now, this is unheard of. Some places in Euphrates River is like 1.7 miles wide. In some places, it's 130 feet deep. So can you imagine this river, this huge, mighty river, this long river, and probably even swollen right now, right? It's probably risen even more from the melting ice and snow and everything. This mighty Euphrates River just goes bone dry, just like that, when the sixth bowl is poured out. But why? Why would the sixth bowl be poured out, and the Euphrates be dried up. Well, we find here in verse 12, it says, to prepare the way for the kings from the east. To prepare for what? What, what? What's going on here? Who's these kings of the east? Well, the Euphrates River really, in ancient times and even today, it, it like divides the west and the east there. And so all the kings, the leaders and generals of countries on the east side of the Euphrates, which could include like India, Pakistan, Indonesia, Malaysia, maybe even Japan, and many really believe China, which today has the largest military on planet. You know what they say? They have a 200 million, they have 200 million active soldiers. So the Euphrates dries up so that these leaders, these generals can bring their armies, march their armies and their weapons over dry land to get to Israel. So we see the drying up of the Euphrates River is for the final preparation. And what's that preparation? For the battle of Armageddon. This is what it's about. This is what the preparation is for. The drying up of the Euphrates River is for the final preparation for the battle of Armageddon. Now, at first read, we might think, well, that might not seem like it's actually God's judgment, you know, drying up the river. And already, the, the, you know, the, the river's blood, it's all messed up. There's probably no food or source of food or anything there. But why would this be judgment, that being dried up and letting the armies march there? Well, it opens up the way to lead the armies of the world into, you know what, a deadly trap, a very deadly trap. Think about this. Remember how in Exodus 14 when the Red Sea was parted? Yeah. And Israel was able to pass through there on the, Scripture tells us, dry ground, right? And they passed through to the other side to escape the, what? The Egyptian, Pharaoh's army, 
right? And once they made it to the other side, what happened? Well, Pharaoh's army went to chase them, and they were going there uh, on dry ground with the Red Sea parted. But once they were in the middle of it, what happened? God, in his judgment, brought back the parted water, and the whole army drowned. So we see this here. God in his judgment is opening the way for all the armies of the world to gather together for Armageddon because we know in the end Jesus will defeat them like that all in one place. So you see, it's really judgment. It's really a trap, a deadly trap, allowing them to all easily go to Israel. Now, this bowl may seem like a a strange one, you know, kind of different, but understand, as we see it this way, God is working his plan. And you know what? It may look strange in your life, maybe the way God is working something in your life, but he knows what he's doing, so trust him in it. Trust him in it. So, we see the Euphrates River is dried up, and the way is prepared for these armies to go there. Well, It goes on in verse 13. After the Euphrates is dried up, John writes, he sees coming out now, out of really the unholy trinity, right? He lists it here. He's out of the mouth, come out of the mouth of the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan, right? And coming out of the mouth of the beast, who's that? The Antichrist, right? And the false prophet, the unholy trinity here, coming out of their mouth is three now, unclean spirits and whenever you see unclean spirits that's demons so these demons come out sent forth really by their command really that's what it's speaking about going out now and they look john writes they look like frogs isn't that weird i wonder if they're going, boop boop no they're no, i'm sure they're flying through the air but understand in ancient time frogs they were considered evil Isn't that interesting? And then Jews, they were told that frogs are unclean. So these were literally unclean spirits. These were demonic, evil spirits going out. Now, what did they do? Well, verse 14 says they are demonic spirits, tells us there. And they're performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on that great day of God. So, So they go out performing signs to bring a message to the leaders, to the generals of the countries to gather, to draw them to gather there in Israel for this final battle. That's what's going on here. I think maybe performing signs means they're, they're, they're like um, uh, showing visions maybe. Maybe they come and show these leaders and generals visions. Go, yeah, go to Israel, grab your army. Perhaps they're maybe even appearing like on the wall or in the general's room and just appearing as this super message, you know, uh, uh, from the Antichrist, from Satan. Hey, this is a command from him. Go, go, take your armies over there. You know, it, it's kind of like how people today, they they try and uh, uh, seek a voice from seances, Right. Or use a Ouija board to hear from the dead. or You know, things like that. Think about this, but this is literally right there. These images performing these signs, deceiving these guys, the leaders and generals, and telling them, commanding them, moving them to go to Israel. Notice they go out to these kings, these leaders and generals of the whole world. So it's not just the kings of the east. 
all the armies of the whole world are going to gather together in Israel to, to battle there, and we're going to see battling Jesus, right? Well, I was thinking about in Daniel chapter 11, we had studied that the kings of the north and the kings of the south are going to come together there. And perhaps that's what it's referring to in the whole world. The east, the north, the south, and the Antichrist is really from the west, are all gathering there together in Israel. Now, what it what is these demons, these frog-like creatures telling the leaders and the kings, how are they getting them there? We don't know exactly. Uh, perhaps, though, and this is just speculation, perhaps the, the Antichrist is sending a message that, you know, we got to get rid of the Jewish guys who are being protected, and I believe maybe in the area of Petra. Remember, God's protecting them. They're safe from the Antichrist, his forces. Perhaps he's telling me, we got to get these guys, we got to kill them. And maybe all this stuff, all the plagues will end. So we got to gather together to do that. Perhaps it's something like that. I don't know. But it, they're influencing them, they're drawing them to go to Israel. So we see here, the demons influence the nations to lead their armies in final preparation for the climactic end. That's what these demons are doing. They're influencing, they're moving these generals so that they would move their armies. They're moving the leaders of the world so that they would move their weapons and their forces into Israel. And it's all coming together in this final preparation for this climactic end. Henry Morris wrote this, These seducing spirits with their doctrines of devils, like 1 Timothy 4.1, spread lies and deceptions as they have for millennia one more time. And I keyed in that, keyed into that. One more time. This is it. This is the final preparation. Listen, demons are still out there right now, right? I mean, this this is ultimately what these demons are going to do, but there's unclean spirits all over and you know, they're being sent out too to deceive you, to lead you astray, to distract you. They, they want to influence you, you know what, to do Satan's will, just like we're seeing here, not God's will, to do Satan's will, to make you stumble, to get you to be caught up on things that aren't of God. So be on your guard. Because what we see in these final preparations, it's, it's going on right now. It's going on right now. These demons are out there trying to influence you. So watch out. This is what will be happening here in the end scenario. Let's go to number two, the final indication. The final indication. We've seen the final preparation with the sixth bowl now, and we see the final indication. Now, this is verse 15 and 16. Let's read those verses right now. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now John records something here. John records what the Lord Jesus said. He's interrupting here. He's interrupting what John is seeing. All of a sudden, the Lord Jesus is speaking here. And I believe 
Jesus spoke here for the benefit of those tribulation saints, Jewish believers there, that are still alive on the earth and struggling in the persecution, struggling in, 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 in the Antichrist forces, killing believers. And so Jesus speaks here. Really, if you look at this, this is a word of hope. Jesus says in verse 15, Behold. In other words, listen up. Pay attention here. Uh, 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 look to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Hear this truth. Behold. And he says, I am coming like a thief. What he's saying is, I'm coming upon the world. I'm coming upon the world unexpectedly like a thief who breaks into a house. Like all of a sudden, you know, when the thief breaks in, you don't expect that. Well, Jesus is saying, I'm coming. I'm coming soon. And when I come, the world is not going to expect me to come like this. The world is not going to expect me to come and defeat them. The world will be caught off guard when Jesus returns in victory. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen up here. I'm coming. This is the end. This, we're, we're in the end scenario right now. I'm coming like a thief to the world unexpectedly. Then he said, blessed is the one who stays awake. Those who are awake, those who are aware of, you know what? The end scenario of God's end game here to see what just happened. The Euphrates River, the great mighty Euphrates River, all bone dry. See what's happening. That means the end is here. This is God's end game. And blessed are those who are keeping his garments on. What is that talking about? Well, the analogy is, is really talking about how faithful soldiers, they stay awake. They stay with their uniform on, on guard, weapons ready, ready to fight, watching out for, for the enemy to come. So he's saying, blessed are you guys who, who are on watch, who awake, who see this end game, who have your uniform on. You're You're ready. You're waiting. You're, you know this is going to happen, and you're ready for all this. And they're blessed because they're not like those soldiers that are caught naked and exposed in shame without their uniform. The, the believers here, they, they're ready for Christ to come back, and they know now with the Euphrates running dry, the sixth bowl being poured out, that it's here. We're, at, we're in the end scenario right now. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, he may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. For believers, you see, they are blessed to be aware that this is the end scenario. That means their suffering is ending, and they're not going to get caught off guard like the world. You know, I was thinking about this. The news just uh, recently reported that uh, on New Year's Eve, New York's ball will drop. It's back on, they said. Yeah, Dropping the ball, opening it up for everyone is back on. And, of course, with all the health and safety protocols, including vaccination requirements, all that. That was was in the report. But it made me think about, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys watch that on TV, you know, and the the big ball drops, and they do that whole countdown, right? The countdown to mid, they do that countdown to midnight. The ball's hanging there in the air, and it's a symbol of what? Oh, the new year is just about to come. 
Well, that's what Jesus is saying. The Euphrates River drying up is a symbol that the end is about to come. The ball is about to drop, so to speak. So blessed are you guys who see that. Blessed are you that you're waiting with your uniform like a soldier and not just sleeping. Oh, no, what, you know. But blessed you are who are in hope, waiting in hope in what's just about to happen. So then, verse 16, the believers still alive in the tribulation, they can be encouraged by Euphrates drawing up. And in verse 16, to see they are assembled at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. That these armies are amassing there in Armageddon. Now, Armageddon really is the Hebrew word for Mount Megiddo, or we talk about the plain of Megiddo there. There's a mountain, but right there's this huge plain. It's 60 miles north of Jerusalem, and it's actually been a location of more than 200 battles throughout history. And now it is the location of this last final battle on earth. So, This is the end scenario, and Jesus is saying the final indication is when you see the armies of the world gathering together at Armageddon. That's the end scenario. This is what's happening here. And then you know Jesus is just about to come back. You know, I was thinking about how, uh, you know, when you fly into Maui, uh, you're coming home, and the trade winds can be blowing really strong and crazy. And it's a crazy experience, right? The plane's like, like this, and, goom, goom, and all those jerks and everything. And the plane up, jumping up. And I remember flying one time, especially bad. And the plane was going up and down in the turbulence. And you could hear the gas. <gasps> you know, little, little, you know, small screams. And, and, and look over the death grips on an armrest and everything like that, right? And the concern look on faces, but but remember on those times when the wheels finally hit the ground, yeah? I mean, literally, too, sometimes, right? Literally, it's like, bam, right? It's not this smooth line. It's like, boom, and jerk. You feel yourself jump. But at least you're back on the ground at that point, right? Oh, there's, there's this big sigh of relief. You hear it throughout the cabin. And then people start clapping. We're alive, we're alive, we're made it. You know, that, that kind of thing. And there's joy, right, that this ordeal is coming to an end. Well, for me, that, yeah, that can be like, okay, Lord, help us, you know, and on. And, and, but, you know, after a long trip and feeling that last jar to my body when the plane lands, you know what, to me, it indicates I'm home. I'm home. It may not be the most pleasant of experiences, but I look so forward to getting off the plane, you know, seeing my family, and just just feeling like, oh, I'm home. You know, when it comes to talking about Armageddon, judgment of, of the world and all that, it's not the most pleasant things to talk about, as I mentioned, on, you know, on Sunday morning. But you know what, here, this is the end scenario. This means the end is here. And that means Jesus will return in victory. And that means Jesus will be here. And that's that feeling for these tribulation saints. That's the hope Jesus is giving for the Jewish believers here, that 
hey, when you see these things, this is the end scenario. No more waiting. It, it's all about to come and happen, and Jesus is all is going to come right now. You know, when it comes to talking about Jesus, his return and, and the rapture, um, sometimes we can shrink in shame, actually. Maybe we shrink, oh, no, Jesus coming. I don't want to hear that right now. We can be, oh, no, I'm, I'm not living right. But then most of us, I think, when we talk about the rapture in Jesus, we're filled with joy, like, oh, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. And, and that's what it's about here. It's, it, it, I know we're talking about judgment and about this end of the world stuff, but you know what? We're understanding what's going to go on at the end. And so be understand, have this knowledge that, oh, when, when, when the coronavirus comes out, is this the end of the world? No, that's not the end of the world scenario. Is Jesus coming out? No. We see it here. Yeah? And understand that that should, when we read this, we should understand, go, oh, Lord, I can feel what they feel because I want you to come soon too. And that's what it's really about. It's about Jesus' return. Vance Havner once said, the early believers were not looking for something to happen. They were looking for someone to come. Looking for the train to arrive is one thing, but looking for someone we love to come on that train is another matter. Isn't that good? That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. Don't get caught up too in all the end times prophecy and then that becomes your idol. Some people, some Christians, that's their idol. No. Reading prophecy, understanding it, uh, comparing it to the news of the world, you know, it's all about, oh, Jesus, you're coming soon. You're coming very, very soon. So Jesus is the focus in all this, in this end scenario. So we've seen the final preparation, the final indication that Jesus is coming. And number three now in our outline, the final devastation. The final devastation. Now we come to verse uh, 17 through 20, but let's take a look at verse 17 and 18 first. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And we'll stop there. So John continues now to bowl number seven. The sixth bowl is out of the sixth bowl is the Euphrates River dried up. Those demons came out. But the seventh now, the final bowl, out of the seventh bowl comes a great earthquake like never before. Like never, ever before. Great, huge, giant. So the seventh angel pours out his bowl. Notice in verse 17, into the air. It's different. We saw the first ball, I think it was, uh, the first ball on the earth, yeah, and affected the people on the sea, on the rivers and streams of water. We, we saw the bowl being poured out in certain places, but here it was into the air. And the air here is the atmosphere. And one commentator said, it's so its contents could spread to every area of the planet. So, so I thought that was a good explanation. It just went shh. Yeah. And with that pouring, a loud voice comes from the heavenly temple 
from the throne of God. And guess who that is? God, right? The Lord God. And this voice, the Lord God, says, It is done. The seventh bowl being poured out completes all the judgments, not just the seven seals, but the seven trumpets and the seven seven seals, not just the seven bowls, but the seals, trumpets, and the bowls. It completes it all. It, it is done. Judgment it will be complete and is complete with the pouring forth of this bowl. It reminds me, you know, of when Jesus died on the cross and one of his last words was, it is finished, Right? What did he mean? Well, since penalty was paid, he, he, he shed his blood. He's dying right there, right before he died. He given his all as a sacrifice. It is finished. I paid the penalty for sin, and salvation is now purchased. Well, here, the, with this last bold judgment, Jesus will come and usher in a new age. The judgments are done, and so now, this is it. This is how Jesus is ready to come. So with that came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peaks of thunder. And we talked about that, this before in the book of Revelation. It, I, I feel like it ties to Mount Sinai when there's lightnings and thunderings and all. It just represents the presence of God and here's the presence and power of God coming out. And with that, we see in verse 18, a great earthquake such as never been since man was on earth, so great was that earthquake. So it's never been since the, the time of creation, the greatest earthquake ever felt happens now in this, the final devastation. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 says, For thus says the Lord of hosts yet once more, in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I believe that I was talking about this moment, the seventh bowl, the last pouring out the final judgment. Now in verse 19 and 20, take a look here. It says, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. So we see this earthquake was so severe that the great city was split into three parts. Now the great city speaks of Jerusalem. The great holy city was split into three parts. The whole topography was changed. How it looked was totally changed. Perhaps it could be what was... Uh, prophesy. Perhaps this is a time when the Mount of Olives would split in two and a new valley would be created in Zechariah 14. And Jerusalem, would actually in Zechariah 14 says, would be elevated. The whole city, not just the Temple Mount, would be elevated up high and the plain all around would be totally flattened. Perhaps that's what's going on in this split. And not only that, all the big cities now, all around the world, all the cities fell buildings falling, skyscrapers. Can you imagine toppling? Destruction all over. Imagine New York, yeah? Manhattan Island, Long Island, all those you know, skyscrapers that you see, Empire State Building, all that, gone. Los Angeles, gone. Mexico City, gone. Paris, gone. London, gone. Hong Kong, gone. Tokyo, Sydney, all flattened. 
And, God, and it says here that God also remembered Babylon the Great. Remember what that was? That was the world system of the Antichrist, of his economy, his power, his political rule, and the religious system that he set up. All of that is going to crumble, be flattened, and his capital, everything gone. As, as in this seventh bowl, he had the world drain the cup. Remember that was back in Revelation 14, the wine of judgment for her sins that the, the, they would drink. This is the judgment that they would drink. And sadly, on verse 20, every island fled or disappeared, and no mountain survived, but basically they were leveled. And you know what that means? No Hawaii. Sadly, no Hawaii, no home. I mean, everyone else's home is going to be decimated. I kind of, I don't know, maybe God will make a new Hawaii, you know. <laughs> and when we come back to ruling rain on the earth, I want to come back to the new one, yeah. But anyway, sadly... Hawaii's gone. Islands are gone. So out of the seventh boat comes this great earthquake like never before. And we see, really, this is what we see. The earth goes through a major renovation and the final devastation of the last judgment. That's really what's going on. God's just changing everything. The whole topography of the world is changing. I don't know if continents are going to shift or I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen exactly, but the greatest earthquake from ever before. It never happened before. Geologists say that small earthquakes, they're actually good because they release that tension of the tectonic plates. So it's good that they release that pressure and all because if the pressure is not released, that's when these huge earthquakes happen and they do much more damage than the smaller ones. Well, can you imagine all this tension being released all at once around the whole world, not just in a localized area? Perhaps God is holding things together right now with his hand and he's just going to let it go and let, let, the, let the earth just move, the land and everything move just in a way. Yeah, he has for it to move. So at his command, the, the plates shift all in judgment. But what I think, because what we I mentioned Zechariah 14, at the same time, God is actually renovating the earth. He's changing the topography for the millennium, the new age to come. You know, sometimes we got to go through a painful birth to come to the blessed gift. Right? The earth's going through something very painful right now. But I believe God is renovating things for what's to come also. Maybe, perhaps, you're going through something right now. But it could be some rearranging. It could be some, some painful things that have to happen for this new life that's coming around the corner. So what we see, what's going on here at the seventh bowl, maybe there's sort of that going on in your life. And understand this. Something else here. Revelation 16 is not some movie script, yeah, for a disaster movie. But this is the future. This is the future. And... I was thinking about how we save for 
our future, right? We save for we want to buy something. Or we save for our future retirement, you know, our life after we stop working. We, we may invest for our future plans or we, we invest, you know, for our college fund or for our kids. And we do investment for our future. But you know what? The most important thing is to secure your soul's future in Jesus Christ. That's what's important. And so today, if, if you've not given your life to Jesus, you've got to do it now. This is real. What we're reading about in Revelation 16 is going to happen for sure. This is prophecy. This, is, this will come to pass. This is the end scenario. This is how the world's going to end up. And we're heading toward that way, and I believe very soon. So right now is the time to secure your soul's future. Right now is the time to give your heart to Jesus. Accept Him in your heart and give Him your life. And you know, maybe that's difficult. Maybe you got to give up something that seems so precious to you right now. Maybe it's something you've been holding on. Maybe an idol, so to speak. But you got to give it up. Maybe that's painful. Maybe that's hard. But you know what? It'll give birth. Giving that up will give birth to a new life in Jesus. And you know what? A new life that's coming in a millennium. So do that today. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't delay any longer. Any time the rapture could come. Any time we could be taken home and, and, and not have to go through what we're reading here. Today is the day of salvation. And Christians, believers... Knowing that chapter 16 is going to happen, we got to pray hard and pray fervently and pray more for those that we love and care about that don't know Jesus Christ. We can be selfish and think, I'm so glad I'm not going to go through this. But we need to be burdened. We need to be on our knees in tears pleading for their souls. So Christians, pray Change how you pray from this moment on. And while after learning this, imagine the loss of life going on here. People dying without Jesus with these earthquakes. Cities gone. Millions, millions. Pray, pray. Pray before this time comes, before this end scenario. So we see number one, the final preparation, the final indication, the final devastation. Now number four, our last heading, the final renunciation. The final renunciation. This is verse 21. It reads here, And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Now, it's as if God does one more thing to grab the attention of the people of the world. And I've talked about that, right? That really in the judgments and the calamities that fall, you know, it's it's how God is trying to get their attention. Even in judgment, it's his hand reaching out. It's his his megaphone. He's calling out. So one last thing is here. The hail falls. One last thing to wake up the world to the reality of their condition without Jesus. And that Jesus is just about to come. When Jesus comes, that's it. That's it. 
So from the sky, from the heaven, comes hailstones. And, and not just regular kind now. It says that they were great hailstones, huge ones. And, and, and they're about, ESV is 100 pounds each. Can you imagine that? Perhaps maybe that violent shift of plates and, and all, get volcanoes erupting and sends that hot air into the cool atmosphere and it, it creates in a hell, these hell and it forms these giant hells and they're falling from the sky in large sizes and large amounts. Can you imagine that? And they fall on people. Last summer, the thunderstorms in uh, Nebraska, I think this is in July, brought hailstones, they say, the size of a softball. And when they fell, uh, and, 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 and that event happened, power was taken out. People were out of power for some time. The hail damaged the wheat crops. Windows were broken. Smashed car windows. Damaged property. And the article said, with this apocalyptic hail. That's nothing compared to what's coming in this apocalyptic hail. Yeah? 100 pounds, can you imagine that? But even after all that, verse 21 at the end, it says, the people, they curse God for the plague of that hell because the plague was so severe. Even after that, even after everything, even after the earthquake, the world cursed God. Remember that word means they blaspheme God. We saw that last week. Remember, we saw last week, they know this is God. They're cursing him, right? They understand that this is judgment. They know the Lord is doing this, but they curse him. Yeah? They, they put his character down. They put his fist up. They put their fists up in the air. And even, I believe, they even give God the finger and flip him off. Can you believe that? Unreal. After all that has happened, even to this point where there's huge earthquake and the hail, this last judgment, the world still does not repent. You know, from the seven seals came the rise of the most evil ruler in history, the Antichrist. War came, famine came, pestilence came. One quarter of the world, the people died. There was earthquakes and meteors at that time that hit the earth. Out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets, and from the seven trumpets, one-third of trees and grass were burned. One-third of the sea turned blood. One-third of sea life dies, and ships, one-third of the ships were destroyed. One-third of fresh water was poisoned. One-third of the light from the sun and the moon went dark. Remember, locust demons came out and terrorized the world and tortured the world. People were suffering. They couldn't die. But then 200 million demons go out and kill one-third of the people of the earth. And then the seventh trumpet was blown. And out of the seventh trumpet came these seven bowls, those painful sores. The sea turns to blood. Fresh water becomes blood. All the water is blood now. The sun scorches the earth. People get scorched. Then darkness covers the whole world, a thick darkness. The Euphrates dried up. Demon visions are seen. And then the earthquake and hail like never before. Yet with all this calamity, with all this, the world knowing it's God's judgment, they know that they are powerless against it. The only response, the sad response, is that they curse God and they do not repent. How sad is that? You know, back in um, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, 
it, it tells us the same thing. The rest of mankind were not killed by these plague, plagues, did not repent. Verse 21 says, Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. We saw in Revelation chapter 16, verse 9, that how they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Verse 11, we saw in chapter 16, Revelation, and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. And finally, with this last bow in verse 21, in this final renunciation, here at the end of verse 21, they cursed God for the plague of hell because the plagues were so severe. How sad is this? How far gone is the world right now? So our last point is this. We see here the final renunciation comes even after all that has happened, even at the very end, the world does not repent. It's a sad ending here in this chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, the first part says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. No one can. We cannot. If we neglect Jesus, we're not going to escape this. Why is the world like this? Why are they like that? Why are they so unrepentant? Why are they so hostile against God? Why are they flipping God off and cursing after Him? Why? After, after all this calamity, you think they would repent. You think they would stop rejecting God even all the way up to the end, even at this final huge earthquakes like never before. Why is that? Well, last week, you remember I mentioned how that their focus was on self, right? They, they, they were the center of their universe. They, they made everything about themselves, about me. Yeah? And Satan comes in deceiving them. Hey, you, you know, I'm going to fulfill your needs. I'm going to do what you want. And, and, and so... That's why they're upset, because God's not doing what they want. They so focus on me. But let me add one more thing this week. You know why they don't repent and why they curse God? Because the people of the world think they know better. They think they know better about things, about life, about themselves. The devil gets the world to think that they know what's really right. And God is the wrong one. They're so messed up in that way. You know what? This is what happens when you don't seek God's truth and his wisdom. You go down this road, you make it about me, and you, and you start thinking, well, the, those Christians, the Bible, oh, the old Bible, it's just an ancient book. No, I know better. We live in a modern world. We have philosophies and science, right? But God never meant us to tackle life with our own wisdom. Think about that. In James 3.17 it says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen, worldly wisdom or human wisdom, it brings the opposite, really. James, earlier in this passage, in James chapter 3, he talks about, you know what, worldly wisdom, human wisdom brings envy, strife, jealousy, anger, hatred, selfish ambition. Why? Because it's all based on me. 
It's all based on selfishness. But that's why James said, but you know what? Godly wisdom, it brings purity. It brings peace, gentleness. You're open to reason. Yeah. It brings mercy, good fruits, impartiality, sincerity. It's 180 degrees different yeah, from human wisdom. The world thinks they know. They have the wisdom. What's this Bible? God, he doesn't know. Pride sets in with that selfishness. And the world thinks they know. But you know what wisdom really is? Having wisdom is really having God's wisdom. That's what it's really about. And wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. That's true wisdom. So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the devil. Don't be fooled in what this passage is talking about. Don't be scammed into thinking, oh, I I get them. I know better. I know better than what the Word says. I studied that before. I studied the Bible before, but I, I know better. I don't need that. Those words are just heading you down toward that time when the world is here holding their fists up to God, cursing Him. Going down that road is Satan deceiving you. So don't be today how the world will be deceived tomorrow in the future. I'll close with this. A young man was waiting in a grocery checkout line and noticed this elderly woman was in front of him and and this elderly woman in front of him was intently staring at him while she unloaded her cart on on that belt. Well, the man finally asked, why why do you keep staring at me? Well, the uh, elderly lady responded and and, uh, said, I'm sorry, but it's just that you look just like my son who recently died. The man said, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? Sure, said the woman. Just, it would really bring closure to me and, and really touch my heart if, if you would just say goodbye, mother, as I leave. So the, so the heartbroken man, thinking about this woman, agreed to do that. And he did exactly as she requested when she left. Goodbye, mother. Well, he put his items on the card, and when he went to pay for his groceries, the bill came out to $147.50. Shocked at the price, the man told the clerk, how can it be? I only have a few items here. The clerk said, oh, your mother said that you would pay for her groceries too. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, that's how deceptive Satan is. That's how devious he is. That's how he pulls on your heartstrings. Yeah? Right? Things you care about. A boy, a girl, pulls you away from God. Right? Those things that are really important to you. He pulls on your heartstrings and gets you to leave God. In the end, you know what? You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. And it's just like what we see here in this, the end scenario. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for helping us to learn, God, what is going on at the end of the world. That when we read the news or when things happen and people are speculating or even saying this is the end of the world, God, we know 
we know we won't be here when it happens. Lord, we know that in Jesus, we will be with you in the rapture, and we will be spared from all of this, God. We know the end scenario. We know what the tribulation will bring. We've been studying all of this, God. Even all the way up until this point, we see, Lord, and we understand. But God, let that understanding and knowledge turn to application. Let it turn to us living our lives for you. Let Let it turn, God, to being passionate, God, being surrendered, being, Lord, given over and submitted to you, doing your will, not ours. God, we are born already as selfish human beings where we only think about ourselves, our own conveniences, what we think is right. And sometimes we embrace some of your truths but stop at certain points. God, we want to go all the way. We want to surrender everything. We, we don't want to hold nothing back, God. And Lord, we want to be prayer warriors for those who need you because my heart breaks for those I know and love that do not know you, God, to think what they will go through. Lord, I pray you would save the souls of those we think about right now in our minds. We cry to you. We cry, Lord, with tears. Oh, Lord, save souls. And I pray for anyone here at the sound of my voice who have not received you into their heart, that today would be the day that they pray the prayer to ask forgiveness, to believe in who you are, to be forgiven and to be cleansed and filled with the Spirit and have eternal life, to be saved right now. And I pray you would do that as you, as they, God, give over their life to you and accept you in their heart right now, that you would see their heart and that you would Fill them with your spirit and save them and make them into new creations. And so, Lord, we are humbled today. Help us to keep our uniform on, to be on watch and not be deceived by the devil. Forgive us our sins, Lord. And let us lock our eyes and lock our life upon you, Jesus. From this moment on, not waver, not go to the right or the left. Stay on the path. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together.